Philippians 1, 12 to 26. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Thanks, Anna. Just going to take a second to get set up here. We don't have this problem at uh, the Marmong Point Church. We, don't, we can only afford the one stand and the one microphone, so I don't have to rearrange things, whereas here you've got options. It's, it's great. Uh, no, it's great to be with you guys again. Uh, we still feel very much a part of this community. Uh, we're part of the same church, really, aren't we? Uh, we just happen to not see each other week in, week out, so it's great to be able to see so many familiar faces. Uh, we pray each week uh, up there, and I know that you guys pray for us as well, and so it's wonderful to uh, gather with you this afternoon and be able to open God's Word. Um, as we do, uh, I wanted to start by asking, how are you going? Um, it's a very Australian way of starting a sermon. How's it going? Um, we've just had Australia Day. And so uh, you may have already been thinking of different Australian ways. No, we're not going to go there yet. We're going to stay here. Um, it's one of those throwaway sentences that we use in our culture in Australia where we say, how's it going? And we seem to try and out-Australian each other by shortening sentences as much as possible. So we drop consonants and drop spaces between sentences and we've reduced it down to, is it going? You might have heard that one as you're walking down the road and you just happen to pass by someone casually and you just hear, is it going? And it's, they don't even want to ask you. They just, it just seems to be a filler thing that they say. Uh, but there's times, isn't there, where you know when someone asks you how are you going, they mean it a little bit more deeply, a little bit more genuinely. And sometimes the clues are just contextual. You happen to be sitting together on the back deck with a drink in hand and one person turns to another and says, how are you going? And you know automatically that's a different kind of question. They're wanting to get under the skin a little bit and find out, how are you really going? How's your heart feeling at the moment? So, let me ask you uh, and indulge me for just a moment. How are you really going? What's been going on for you lately? 
Uh, it's the start of a new year and statistically by this point most people have given up on their New Year's resolutions, so maybe that's you. Uh, maybe you're going really well and you're proud of your achievements and the change you're seeing in your life and that's a great thing. Uh, for many parents in the room, school goes back this week. How are you feeling? Maybe excited, maybe not so happy about that. Uh, see, life is always full of these conundrums, isn't it? Some good, some bad. And I wonder in your personal life recently, how have things been? Have there been some really high moments of great happiness? Perhaps the birth of a child in the family, the celebration of a milestone, birthday or anniversary. Uh, maybe you got a new job or promotion at work this year. Maybe they've maybe uh, the purchase of a new car or house and overseas holiday. But maybe there have been some deeply sad moments as well. Uh, the loss of a loved one, some devastating health news financial uncertainty due to rising interest rates and the cost of living. So, how are you really feeling? Well, what is your, if I can ask again, what is your consistent daily experience like on a deep level? Do you feel mostly thankful, kind, reflective, angry, frustrated, bitter, scared, enthusiastic, confident, do you feel like you're growing in your walk with God or regressing in your walk with God or some combination of all of the above? Now, I'm asking this because in the passage that was read for us uh, and that we're looking at today, it seems like the Apostle Paul, to me, is responding to this kind of question. The question comes to him from the church in Philippi. Uh, if you've been part of Lake Mac Church over the last year or two, you would have heard the sermon series in the book of Acts, where we looked at the founding of this church in Philippi. Paul and his friend Silas were traveling through Macedonia, modern-day Greece. They come to this region. Not a lot of people are being converted, and they go down to the river, and this woman, Lydia, is converted. She believes the message. She puts her faith in Jesus, and a church is established and that church is kind of mottled together with these stories and anecdotes in Acts chapter 16. You can go and read, but there's a young slave girl who's demon-possessed who, in the name of Jesus, is freed of that, and she becomes part of the faith community there. Paul and Silas are then thrown in prison, and there's the story you, I'm sure you're familiar with. They're singing hymns at night. There's an earthquake, and they're set free. The jailer's about to kill himself, but he, he doesn't, and Paul and Silas go to his home. He becomes a Christian. His family are converted, and that's this church in Philippi. Now, sometime later, they hear a report that Paul happens to be in prison again, uh, this time in another city in Rome. Now, I'm sure they're wondering, gee, what is wrong with this Paul guy? He keeps landing in jail. But when they find out about this, it's like they've sent word to Paul to say, Paul, how are you going? How is your heart at this time? And that's where we pick up the story in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 26 today. And what we see in those verses is that as Paul reflects on everything that has happened to him, on his present circumstances and his expectations for the future, Paul's life is marked by a deep joy and confident faith regardless of his circumstances. And as we read through what Paul says, I want to make the contention that the consistent daily experience of a person who is united with Christ ought to be one of overflowing joy and growing faith, regardless of circumstances. It's on the screen, but I'm going to say it again a bit slower. The consistent daily experience of a person who is united with Christ ought to be one of overflowing joy and growing faith regardless of circumstances. That's a big claim to make, uh, but that's where we're going. So I'm going to ask God to help as we delve into his word, help us to grasp it uh, as we understand these verses here. So let's pray. 
Father, your word is true, and we are so thankful that we have it as a guide, as a light onto our feet. And it's our prayer this afternoon that you would meet with us, that your word would speak into our lives, and you promise that where your word is sent out, it will not return to you empty. So would it achieve your purposes in our hearts today? We pray. Amen. So we're going to, hopefully you've got your Bibles with you. Uh, If you don't, bring it up on your phone or there's uh, print versions available. We have someone at uh, Marmong Point Church who works in the printing trade and keeps encouraging people to use a paper Bible because it'll put him out of business if you don't. So so please keep using your print Bibles. Uh, But as we begin to look into these verses and read Paul's response to how's it going, It reveals a couple of things. The first thing it reveals is what matters most to Paul. So, if you've got your Bible there, follow along with me. We'll start at verse 12. This is what he says. Paul, how are you going? Well, Philippians, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Bit of a strange response, isn't it, for a man who's in jail? There's no comment about, gee, these chains are itchy, it's, there's rats running riot, I feel pretty uncomfortable, the food's miserable. There's none of that. No, Paul's focus here is, hey, the gospel is advancing Others are believing and more encouraged in their faith and gaining confidence to speak more uh, fearlessly and courageously. See, what's Paul's focus in those couple of verses? It is the gospel is advancing. Jesus is winning. But as we read on, uh, there's a little bit more here that Paul says. Something interesting is going on. Apparently, some of the people who have been speaking up about Jesus are doing it in a way to cause more trouble for Christians like Paul. So have a look with me, verse 15 onwards there. He says, It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. So it's a bit hard to get our heads around, but this is, remember, this is the Apostle Paul who in a lot of parts of the New Testament, if you've read, he takes to task those who would twist the gospel, those who would preach things that are not true. And that's not what Paul does here. He's not saying that anything that's going on out there is a false gospel. It seems to be this weird sense that somehow Paul, who's been placed in jail for preaching the gospel, there are people who are not in jail, who are also going out preaching out of selfish ambition or to stir up more trouble for Paul while he's in prison. It's a bit of a weird thing going on. And I was trying to wrap my head around this. There's lots of different commentaries you can read with thoughts. But I think there was something similar to this going on where potentially some of these people would have been going around maybe late at night, maybe when others were sleeping, and proclaiming Christ loudly in the streets. Oh, we pray in the name of Jesus. Isn't Jesus wonderful? Now, you can think, how would that affect those who are trying to sleep? And you've got these crazy people screaming on the street for Christ. They're going to stir up trouble for Paul, who's in jail the next day. Paul, you wretched man, those Christians out there, they keep annoying me. Or they're standing in front of other places of worship, 
to other gods and, you know, just throwing in snide comments as people go into worship. Oh, you won't find the way and the truth and life in there. Jesus is the one you should be following. And you can see how this kind of might have infiltrated in the community to stir up trouble for someone like Paul. So we get caught up on these verses and think, oh, what is it that they were preaching? I don't think that's what Paul's focus is. And you can see that. How does Paul respond to this? This kind of preaching that's going on. Well, look at verse 18. He says, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. It's like Paul's got his blinders on. He d- he's not worried about these things that are going on. His ultimate focus is that Christ is being preached. So in the midst of his terrible circumstances, we can narrow this down and go, what is Paul's real focus here? What matters most to Paul? Well, it's Jesus. The proclaiming of Jesus' name, the gospel getting out, people being encouraged in their faith. To summarize what matters most to Paul, well, it's Jesus. But as we read on a little bit more from verse 19 onwards, we see that Paul's been reflecting on his current circumstances, but now he's going to be thinking more about what may come, the trial to come, or will he face life or death? And we're going to see that Paul doesn't just feel this focus and this this passion for Jesus in his circumstances. Now, it's actually his dominant view in all of his life. Read with me in verses 19 to 26. Paul says, For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to be to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Did you pick it up there? Again, what matters most to Paul? Whether life or death, it's Christ. Probably put most explicitly in verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, in total, 12 times I count between verses 12 and 26 where Paul talks about Jesus or the message about Jesus going out. His captivating vision is Christ. As he thinks about his current circumstances, the trials that may come, whether he dies or whether he gets to return to the church in in Philippi, it's almost like if you asked him, Paul, how are you going as you think about these things? He says, yes, I'm in jail. Yes, I could be put to death, but can I tell you something? Jesus is winning, and I'm rejoicing about that. There's a key that tells us that, and it's in verse 18. I kind of glossed it over earlier, but verse 18, the second part, Paul says, I rejoice, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. It's almost as if he's stirring in himself that emotion. Yes, Paul, you will rejoice. I will rejoice, and yes, I will rejoice again and continue to rejoice. So the thing that matters most to Paul determines his daily experience of abundant joy in the midst of his tough circumstances, but also for his daily life. It's Jesus. And it's precisely because Paul's highest value is on Christ that he is able to go through what he does with an experience of deep joy and confident faith in and through everything that he faces. 
Now, you may say to me, well, that's great, Ben. That's the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul was a super apostle. He wrote half of the New Testament. God knocked him off his donkey. Sure, that's great. Paul can do that. But not me, not other people. Well, let's have a quick think about that. Is this just unique to Paul? Well, there's, a, there's an example in these verses. In, in verse 19, see the second half of verse 19 there, Paul writes the words, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And if you're familiar with the book of Job, you'd know this is a direct quote from the book of Job. Job, who lost his wife, his children, his house, his wealth, and even his personal health, who said, what has happened to me will result in my deliverance. Confidence in the face of circumstance, in the midst of challenging things, an awareness that God is still in control. So that wasn't unique to Paul. Job had that. And Bible character after Bible character has that too. It's not just what matters most to Paul. It's what matters most to Job. And again, it's not just Bible characters. It works in the real world too. What matters most to people around us. I'm reminded uh, this morning we had Joy. Many of you would know Joy uh, Clarkson. She was there at church this morning. Uh, But I I mentioned her because she's a really good example of this. One of our members here at Lake Mac Church, who about a year ago was in hospital suffering from some pretty serious pain. Now, in that circumstance, in her in and at her age, you would love to go to hospital and at least have a private room, a space where you can be on your own with your angry and frustrated thoughts that you're in pain. But not Joy. No, she was placed in a shared room. And was she upset about that? Was she complaining about that? about her lack of mobility, about the situation that God had put her in? Well, no. Joy was stoked. She was overflowing with joy that she had three, a captive audience with her that she could share the gospel with. People who couldn't get away from her. And when she came out of hospital, she couldn't wait to come back to church to share that experience with us. See that going through a really hard circumstance and a joy that would not leave her. She told me recently that she was back there and the nurses came up and asked her, did you bring any more of those tracts with you that you were handing out? How good is that? An example to many of us to have joy in the midst of hardship because uh, of a deep confidence in Christ. Now, I want to say this before I go on. There's no suggestion here from me that this kind of deep joy and confidence in and through the various battles of life is an easy thing as we go through hardship. I'm not asking you to put on a pair of rose-coloured glasses. I'm not asking you to just put a smile on your dial, stiff up a lippet. No, we we will weep in this life. We weep with the brokenhearted. Sometimes the only thing we can do is to sit in the dust heap with those who are hurting, to tear our robes, to pour ash on our head and to cry out, why, Lord, why? And yet, right there in the midst of your pain and hardship, right there in the midst of of a hospital room, right there in the middle of a Roman prison, a confident voice comes ringing out, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Those are Paul's words from verse 19. And there's actually something really special in in that verse too. I don't know if you caught it, but the combination, the, the equation there that Paul uses, one plus one, He says, through your prayers and the help given to me by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, Paul knows that he needs both human and divine help for his joy and faith to endure through the hard times. It isn't easy. 
We need each other and we need God. God will help. Will we stand with one another in prayer to endure to the end? Now, if you're still with me, let me summarize what we've covered so far. Paul's daily experience is marked by deep joy and confident faith precisely because what matters most to him is Christ. And that truth, I think, if we zoom out for a moment, is actually evident everywhere we look around us. Uh, I saw this uh, as we were driving up over the holidays to stay with Rachel's family in Nelson Bay. Uh, we drove past Williamtown. I'm sure many of you have done that trip and there's fighter world on the way and we pointed it out to the kids. They're really excited that we'll go there one day. But as we got to my father-in-law's house and I asked him, have you gone to fighter world? And he said, yeah, we love it over there. Uh, he was reflecting and saying one of the cool things about it, as much as his fighter jets to see and uh, old and new and things, is that there are this group of men who show up there week in, week out, and what's really great is to see their passion for these aeroplanes. They are there uh, to polish them, to inspect all the parts, and take meticulous care of these machines. And what's more, they do it as volunteers. They're not paid to do this. Now, I want you to consider for a moment how much these planes mean to some of these men. We can imagine, can't we, that any number of things could happen and go wrong in these men's life. They could wake up one day and uh, someone's stolen their slippers they go to the cafe and the barista burns their coffee. They turn up at work and they lose their job. They suffer from a terminal health condition. They feel lonely at night living on their own. But depending on the value that they place on these planes, if they can just come back every week to fighter world and go and polish their aeroplane and it's still there, there's a sense in which we, we can see that those men could suffer every kind of immense loss and yet still have a joy and a satisfaction that their aeroplane is untouched. See, this principle is really an application of where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. What matters most to us in this life will determine how we bear up under any and every circumstance. So let me ask you the question then, what matters most to us? And this leads us to the second point. If we are in Christ then the thing that ought to matter most to us is Christ. It's a very simple thing to say, but let's dive into that a little bit. What does it mean to say when Paul says, for me to live is Christ? See, I believe what Paul has in mind here is this idea of being united with Christ or being in Christ. That phrase, in Christ, comes up repeatedly in the New Testament. and Many scholars will agree that this is the crux of what it means to be a Christian, is to be found in Christ. See, I was reading uh, an author, E.M. Blacklock, about this. He writes about this verse. He says, Union by faith with a living Christ was the heart and soul of Paul's message. It was the element of Christianity which most strongly gripped the imagination of the pagan world. How can living be Christ? He is the environment of the redeemed, his love, the overwhelming presence, his will, the constant norm of conduct, his pleasure, the daily goal, Death cannot harm a life thus possessed. It can only make a close-knit union more complete. So when Paul looks at life or death, he is in Christ, and that's all he can think of. The Christians truly believe that when we become a Christian, we are in a deep and profound way united with Christ. Let me give you a brief explanation of this, that when, when God made the world and he made Adam and Eve and placed them in the garden, there was union there between man and God. And that's the way that things were intended to be. And yet mankind rejected God and created separation. We sought independence and self-rule. And as a result of sin and death, 
that gap was introduced and we could never get back into union with God. His judgment on our wrongdoing meant that trials we might, the Bible bears testimony to this again and again, that trials we might, mankind would never be able to get back to God. The gap is just too great. His standard of perfection too high. And so what we could not do, God did. God sent his own son for us to close the gap, to bridge the divide, to become one with us, to identify as a man and take on himself our sin. And at the heart of the Christian faith, the gospel is this beautiful transaction that takes place where when we put up our hand for Jesus to enter in, we hand over to him our filthy rags and he takes them and identifies with us and goes to the cross and bears our sin in his flesh and is crushed for it. And what do we get in exchange? We get his righteous, perfect robes and we put them on. And when God the Father looks upon us, what does he see? He sees Jesus. If you are in Christ, you have Jesus' perfect record. The act of becoming a Christian is sticking up your hand and admitting that we could never be righteous in our, by our own effort, that we need a saviour. And by taking hold of Jesus, we become one with him. So if you are a Christian, you are deeply united with Christ. If you're not, that invitation is there for each and every one of us this afternoon. Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. So friends, if you feel that knocking at the door of your heart today, would you open the door and invite him in and begin that journey of being in Christ? But if that is you, if then we are like Paul to be found in Christ, then verse 21 is not just Paul's words. It's not just true of Paul. It ought to be true for each and every single one of us to be able to say, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So let me repeat the point. If we are in Christ, then the thing that ought to matter most to us in our lives is Christ. And now we're getting close to the heart of the matter. If Paul was so united with Christ that he was able to say while in prison, I rejoice and further that he waited with eager expectation that come life or death he would endure. If we are united with Christ in the same exact way that Paul was, then would it not follow that our daily experience ought to be the same as that of Paul? Which was that no matter the circumstances that he faced, our daily feelings doing what they do, we can have a deep sense of joy and confidence in our faith. And so we arrive at our original contention. The consistent daily experience of a person who is united with Christ ought to be one of overflowing joy and growing faith regardless of our circumstances. Now we could end there. Uh, I believe we've had a pretty tight sermon here. It's nice and uh, we've got an argument, we've got through it and we've kind of proven it, if you will. But we have something of an elephant in the room. See, if our observation is true, if it's true that our daily experience ought to be one of overflowing joy and growing faith, regardless of circumstance, then let me ask, why is that not always the case? Why is it that our daily experience is not one of overflowing joy, overwhelming joy and growing faith all the time? It's a very good question. It's a big elephant. Two things to say about this. Number one, 
lots of moments in life are just plain hard. So becoming a Christian is not like a silver bullet that once we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we'll never experience anything hard ever again and things will just work out perfectly, that your career will just go from strength to strength, that your kids will get A's on every test, that you'll always have enough money for everything you want to buy. Life is hard sometimes, a lot of the time, and our feelings will rise and fall with the seasons that we face. There will be times, believe it or not, where you may have a bad day at work. There will be times where we get bad news from the doctor. We may experience things like depression or anxiety disorder. We may go through months and years of chronic illness. We may go from loss to loss to loss. And therefore, it may not feel like we are just happy and joyful all the time. But that's not the kind of joy that Paul is describing here or that I'm talking about. The kind of deep and abiding joy that we have as Christians is described in different parts of the Bible. So I've picked a couple of references here. The first one, 2 Corinthians 4, 7 to 9 says this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-consuming power is not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. And the second one there, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 says it this way, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. You see how the Bible describes our hope as Christians? A treasure in jars of clay, an anchor in the storm. It's no less sure and true. It's as solid as a rock. But the storms? Oh, the storms. They will come and they will rage Friends, there is a life and death struggle going on right now for your very soul and the devil will unleash all the power of hell to try and rend you from the grasp of your king and the reality is that God will never let you go. This is the truth. But why don't we always experience great joy and growing faith? Well, part of the answer is because life is just hard sometimes. But the reality is not changed. Our consistent daily experience through the journey of life ought to be one of overwhelming joy and growing faith, whatever the circumstances. And secondly, why don't we feel this way all the time? Well, secondly, the extent to which we will experience a deep sense of joy and satisfaction in our life is directly connected to the issue of our union with Christ. Now, let me say this. Our union with Christ, as we've just looked at, is a sure thing. If you're a Christian, it is your present reality each and every day and will not change. And yet, our experience of that union can rise and fall like the tides of the sea. So, a good example of this is is from marriage. When we are married, we become united, we become one. There's a union that's established and that, that doesn't change. But within that marriage, what will the experience of that union be like on a daily basis? Will it just be good and strong each and every day for the rest of our lives? Well, for my marriage, yes, it is. No, I'm kidding. My wife's not here. I can say anything I like. No, there will be times when it doesn't feel that way. There will be times when that union will be tested. But does that change the reality of the union that you are married, that you are united? Well, no. And it's the same with our union with Christ. Our experience of deep joy and satisfaction that we've been talking about may be affected by circumstance, may be affected by our personal investment into our union with Christ, but it doesn't change the reality. See, we said earlier that being in Christ 
means that he is the most important thing in our lives. But let's be honest with each other for a minute. Is that really the case? For each of us today, is Christ the dominant reality of your life each and every day? If I'm honest with you, there are days for me that he just isn't. I'm more concerned with the cares and worries of this world than I am about the things of God. And sometimes they're just trivial things like games on my phone. So we get caught up in so many things like school runs and pickups and grocery bills and electricity bills and the latest sport results and the renovations we're working on and the way our colleagues spoke to us at morning tea the other day and the politics in our workplaces and Australian politics. And it's easy for the things of this life to sneak in, to rob us of our joy, to draw us slowly ebb and flow away from the reality of our union with Christ. And maybe we all need the wake up call from the passage today. To live is Christ. What truly matters is the advance of the gospel, the growth in the confidence of believers around the world, including ourselves. If our daily experience should be one of overflowing joy and growing faith and it's not, can we do anything? Well, the good news is we can. We can invest in our relationship with Jesus in the same way that we would invest in our marriages. Spend time with Jesus. Talk to him. Read stories about what God is doing in the world. See, the very letter that we read here in Philippians is a letter from Paul to the Philippian church designed to encourage them to be a report from prison. But he talks about it, helping them grow in their own confidence. And he longs to come to them that they might grow even more. So are we listening to stories from around the world? Are we hearing stories from our missionaries that we've sent out? Do you have time to find a good podcast or watch a good video on YouTube or maybe listen to Rima FM? I'm not sure. See, one thing is for sure, to experience this kind of life, to relish in our union with Christ and look forward to our ultimate salvation, then we, like Paul, will need the two things that he talks about in verse 19, the prayers of our brothers and sisters and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, human and divine help. And it's my prayer here that at Lake Mac Church, we might all be found to be in Christ. And as a result, that our daily consistent experience in this life will be one of overwhelming joy, overflowing joy and growing confidence in our faith through whatever circumstances until our faith becomes sight. So as we wrap up, let me ask again, how are you going what is your consistent daily experience like as you go through this life? May it be that the next time you're asked, and how are you going? You can respond with authenticity and truth. Look, things may be good, things may be bad, but I am united with Christ and therefore I rejoice. I'm not what I want to be, but I'm growing in my faith. And yes, I will continue to rejoice because I will be delivered on that final day. What a great thing to believe and what a great thing to pray for one another as we conclude. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we've touched on some deep and profound truths today. The reality of our union with Christ. We thank you for the experience of our brother Paul, who was able to testify that for him to live was Christ and to die is gain. Lord, we want that so much in our own lives. And yet, the ebbs and flows, the, the challenges of this life, the hardship that we often endure, takes us away from you. 
we pray right now for one another. I ask for each and every person in this room and myself too that we would grow in our understanding of what it means to be united with Christ and that Jesus would be at the centre of our lives so that we may experience that deep sense of joy and confidence and growing in faith until that final day when we will see you face to face. We look forward to that day with longing and hope and ask that you would continue to transform us from one degree of glory to the next. In Jesus' name, amen. I think we're going to sing, is that right? Oh, no, we've got question time, don't we? I forgot about that. Yes, so this morning no one asked any questions. Uh, so, <laughs> But I thought about this afterwards. I thought, I wonder if I was too confrontational in the way I ask. I said, you, any questions? So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to say, look, I would love for you to ask a question. I'm really open to answering anything you might want to ask. I can't promise that it will be a good answer, but if there are any questions, I'm happy. Oh, this one? Yeah, can we get a copy of that? I'd just like to... I can send it. Yeah, I'll send it to... Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to send it to Rob and he can... Yep. I follow... There's a, a good tip, actually, um, on YouTube. I don't know how my algorithm's done this, but somehow, you know, YouTube shorts, they pop up with different videos, recommended ones. I keep getting recommendations on how to make my PowerPoints look better. I just, <laughs> I don't think I've ever searched for that. Anyway, that was one of their tips. So like, yeah. Anyway. Any other questions? No. Well, that's my phone number. So if anything yeah. comes to mind, send it to me late at night. I won't answer. But you're welcome to send it in. Yeah.